Whoa, Vinny, a very special edition of Brooklyn Paper Radio. I don't know if you know that song. That's not our theme song, Gersh. What is that? It's not our regular theme song. It's the theme from the People's Court. I remember that show. Judge Wapner. Judge Wapner was a great man. And the reason we're he playing... He died recently. He died. He did. Well, we're not doing a tribute to him. We're doing a tribute to the court. And that is where I will be this morning. Gersh Kuntzman in small claims court answering a claim by the set designer of Murder at the Food Cop that I chiseled him out of a few hundred dollars of our $500 fee. So I'll be in court today, and I will obviously be back next week to tell you all about what happened. But we have a special edition of the Brooklyn Paper Radio. We're going to have complete coverage in the Brooklyn Paper of that court case. We're sending a reporter out to cover it. We're going to have our courtroom artist there to draw it up. It's going to be very exciting. Look for that this week in the paper. And we're going to talk all about that. We even have an interview with a woman later on who saw the show this summer. And also we're going to be talking to Seymour Lackman. Now that name may not ring a bell to all you youngsters, but for a couple of decades in Albany, Senior Seymour Lackman was the man, the only guy in Albany who was uncorruptible, unbought, unbroken, unbowed. And had a, had a great hat. And he's going to be joining us in about a half an hour into the show. But first, I would be remiss if I didn't open the show the way I always did, except with a little twist. Vince, we got to talk about the elephant in the room. There is an elephant in the room, Gersh. The elephant in the room is this monstrous zit on my cheek. It is absolutely horrible. I'm looking at it right now. And you look like one of those squirrels when they're hiding nuts like in their mouth. It's like blown up only on one side. I mean, it's, it's so big. To me, it's like an appendix before emergency surgery that, oh, is just seconds too late. And remember, that's how Valentino died. That's what killed him. That is definitely what killed him. But look, it looks a little bit like Mount Vesuvius before it covered Pompeii, you know, and it covered Pompeii with uh, pus, not uh, lava. Oh, that's gross. That's right. But yeah. it is, I mean, it is that big as zit. And so if you're, if you're listening right now, call in 718-260-4502 and say, look, what would you do about that zit? Just point of information. I have tried to pop it already, which was a mistake. Yeah, no, don't do that. Well, it wasn't ready. It's not a whitehead. And could, Jimmy, I don't know if you can put a picture up of it's, what a whitehead looks like. You know what you don't do at this moment in time? Do not, do not Google image carbuncle. No, we did that before don't the show. Don't do it. No. You won't get a picture of my zit, but if-, if Jimmy, I, put up some carbuncles. <laughs> got to put up some carbuncles. Anyway, we got to get out. Point is, the zit is huge. And by the time we talk next week on next Tuesday, I'm either going to have popped it or it is going to have taken over my entire face and- You'll have a different co-host. Gersh, be- I'm getting this call right now. Let's put them on the air. Let's see what they say. It'll be- Let's see what they say. Hello. This is just a courtesy reminder that your student loans have been flagged eligible for the new student debt. Wow. Do you have student loans? No. Oh, it's amazing. How did they know to call you? They're calling you back. <laughs> they are. They just keep calling me. Anyway, the point is we don't break for those kind of calls, except if it's important. And Vinny's obviously got to reduce his student loan burden. we got to get that down. No, anyway, the reason we, um, we're talking about my zit is because I'm a handsome man. And if this thing blows up the way I think it will, it's going to be next week's show hosted by Vince DiMaselli and zit. <laughs> and zit. So uh, until then, it's Gersh Kuntzman, obviously of the Daily News, joined by handsome man Vince DiMaselli, editor of the Brooklyn Paper. Now, we got to get right into it, Vince. You saw Murder at the Food Co-op this summer, am I right? Of course I did. That was my award-winning, sold-out New York City International Fringe Festival show. It was a spoof, a satire, a light farce about life at the at the Park Slope Food Co-op with a murder twist. I think it delved into some deeper things, Gersh, but you know. But you enjoyed the show, am I right? Of course I did. Okay. Now, the facts in the case are not in dispute. Sometime over the summer, towards the end of the summer, I was sued by my set designer, Mitchell Ost, and I can say his name in public because he's filed paperwork and that's all down at the small claims court. Mm-hmm. He sued me because, yes indeed, I did withhold some money from his fee 
because A, he never produced any kind of receipts, B, he did a lousy job, and C, he did not listen to the instructions provided by me, producer, and the director, Eric Olson. Well, let me ask you a question, Gersh, before you go any further. Sure. When you say he didn't provide any receipts, was part of the deal uh, that he would bring you receipts for stuff that he purchased uh, and then you would pay him back subsequently, or was that part of the actual fee that you were paying? No, no, no. I had agreed to pay all uh, fees for material, but only when I authorized the purchase of said material. And then suddenly I show up literally the day before the show, and I have a set with material I didn't authorize, designs that I didn't authorize, nor did the producer or the director. So that's a key part of the evidence. Now, the good news is it's all going to be in court tomorrow. Sorry, today, 111 Center Street, I believe we got underway at around 9, but I think I'm going to kind of stall it a little bit so our listeners can get down there by 11. And we are going to talk about what happened. I've got evidence. I've got testimony. I've got, what do you call it, affidavits. Affidavits. From people who worked on the show and saw the show. And Hmm. the good news is, Vinny, we've actually spoken to one of them. And, Vinny, the best part about this whole debate is I actually have a woman who saw the show and is willing right now to testify on my behalf on the radio show. All right, but she's going to testify on the radio show, but she's not going to testify in the people's court. Well, she would not give me an affidavit, but she's going to do it in the court of public opinion right now. Okay, the court of public opinion, but this is not going to hold up. It's not admissible. Okay. This is Jeanette. Oh, Jeanette September. This is Gersh Kuntzman along with Vince DiMaselli of Brooklyn Paper Radio, and you're live on the air. How are you, ma'am? Gersh Kuntzman, the tabloid legend, is that you? It is indeed, and also a radio legend. Thank you for understanding my prior work. Now, Jeanette, I believe you saw Murder at the Food Co-op over the summer, am I right? Saw it. I loved it. Ma'am, ma'am, just answer the question. (laughs) All right. Ma'am, what did you think? (laughs) Yes, I saw it. What did you think of the show? I loved it. I thought it had great political satire, humor, a little bit of a a love plot in there. Mm. And uh, not to mention, I couldn't get the songs out of my head three months after it. Three months. Can you imagine? What a great yep. show it was. I'm going to rule this all inadmissible. <laughs> it's speculatory. <laughs> That's fine. But, ma'am, that you are now you are officially on the record, and the stenographer is typing. Question in my defense. How yeah. was the set of Murder at the Food Court? How was the set design? Huh, the set. I'm going to have to think back about that for a minute because I don't really remember any of it. I guess it wasn't so... It wasn't the most memorable part of the play, I'll just say that. Um, I don't know. It looked like it was put together by some of your cast members. There wasn't even, there wasn't many props, if I remember, like a couple heads of lettuce, something made out of cardboard. It looked very, very high school musical playset to me. Wait, uh, ma'am, ma'am, not to interrupt, but you said it looked very high school musical. What if I told you, what if I told you that the professional was paid to produce that set? was paid to produce that set. Uh, that's kind of hard to believe. It looks like a 10-year-old put that stuff together. Wow, like that's... Like an intern or something. Wow, wow. Vince, when you hear something like that, it's an open and shut case, don't you think? Well, it makes me wonder if, in fact, you had a ten- that you've paid a 10-year-old to do it. Well, I did, in fact, pay a professional to do that set. And as you know, we are going into court today, small claims court on Center Street, to settle a dispute in which the set designer uh, claims that I didn't pay him the full amount. As you know, I did withhold some of his fee because the set was such a disaster. And I'm, it's great to hear the sound of your voice, Jeanette September, testifying yeah. to that, is that I was actually on the right side on there. Well, I definitely wouldn't lie about it. 
And if it was something that looked like it was a professional job, I'm sure I would have remembered. Uh, there wasn't much to the set, and I don't even remember it ever changing. Well, let's change the subject for a second. The show itself, though, was outstanding, right? It was written by me and Mark Dinkin and pre premiered at the Fringe Festival. Six sellout shows. What did you ultimately think of it? It was, it was honestly, I thought it was so, so hysterical. I thought it was really witty. You guys had impeccable comedic timing. Um, and you raised and you raised some controversial issues in there that were pegged right at at uh, at the political times. That whole controversy that was going on with the food co-op, uh, with those with those with the food. There was a whole food issue. I think you brought up a food issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there um, were some other issues like the whole Palestinian-Israeli conflict. I think that was a part of it. Exactly. Yeah, that was the major major arc there, and I thought that that came across. Um, really well and you guys did it with great comedic timing so there was a subplot um, if you remember miss september there was a subplot involving earthworm skin condoms i do remember that subplot thank you for bringing that back up to my attention i anyway, forgot there we got to get out the point is jeanette september testified today on the radio not in court on the radio on the radio inadmissible the court of public opinion and judge wapner would allow a recording of this in court but maybe maybe a real judge won't the point is You've testified the set was a disaster, and I thank you for your testimony. I'm going to let you it go. It was a disaster. Vince, I mean, I got, I'm going to hang up on her, because I thank you, Miss September. i got to say, I heard everything I needed to hear when she called it a high school musical-like set. But maybe someone in court would take that as a reference to the movie High School Musical, which had a wonderful set. I believe she said a 10-year-old could have done it. When you say publicly, my kid could have done it, that's an insult. I guess it could be taken that way, yes. Well, I really appreciate Jeanette September, a, a, a ticket holder, a ticket buyer of Murder at the Food Co-op, backing up my account, which we presented in small claims court today. With Judge Wapner. Dun-dun-dun. Can you play that music, Jimmy? Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Jimmy, you got that music? Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Jimmy, you got that music? Dun-dun. Vinny, I'm very glad that Jimmy finally found that music because it's a great song. We can just keep listening to it I'd, all day. I'd listen to it day and night. It's what puts me to sleep at night. When I wake up in the morning, first thing I hear when the alarm goes off. Well, the good news is next next Tuesday on the show, we'll have a full recount, and I might even have some Brooklyn paper coverage and maybe some my audio tapes from the small claims court case of the century. It is the, it is the small claims case of the century. Well, it's the no small claims case of the century of the year. No question about it. Of the week. All right. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up one more thing. Vince, Yeah. if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. you're a healthy-looking guy, handsome guy. I try. You had salad for lunch today. Oh, man. Now, my theory about salad for lunch is it's a fucking joke. It's, it does not fill you up. I There's no way. That. Now, what did you have in that salad? Any I had a salad with, with protein, with turkey. Turkey. And it had some, uh, it had some uh, uh, goat cheese. Oh. And it had some craisins. And it had some nuts. And spinach, basically. But I am starving. I had it an hour and a half ago. I had it uh, a little while ago. An hour and a half and you're already hungry. And I'm already hungry. Joke. Fucking joke. It is. It's, All right. It's no way to live. So if you can hear the sound of our voice. And now I want a cookie. No, I want a sandwich. And if I have the cookie, it defeats the purpose of the salad. Yeah, that's true. Does it? How yes. Many how many calories in a cookie? The cookies they have here, they have these cookies in the uh, in the vending machine, yeah. are like 350 calories. No, no, they're more. They're like a thousand. A thousand calories. They're like a thousand calorie cookie. It's gigantic. It's, it's like delicious. The Scott, it's like the Scott tissue of cookies. It just keeps. <laughs> it just goes on and on we and gotta, on. We got to get out. I, I got to say, can we get the in the papers? You got to go for a jog. Can we get the in the papers music? Because we are going to bring in a big reporter for a big story. I read the then we got to pay some bills. Paper. 
All right, I'm going to dial out to her. Lauren Gill. Gilly. A great, a great reporter here. Did a story today. We got to reach out to her. They call her Gilly. I do. I'm calling her. You're trying. I don't hear anything. I guess I got to do it again. Come on, you're killing me here. It's 2511. You think she went to lunch? And after this, we got to pay some bills, Jimmy. Yeah. Hey, Lauren Gilds, Gersh Kuntzman from Brooklyn Paper Radio, along with Vince DiMaselli, a handsome man. Would you come in here, please? We want to talk about the Gowanus. Sure. Right. That was great. She's coming in. You know, while she's walking in, maybe we can pay some bills. No, I don't think so. Okay. Anyway, we'll wait till she gets in here. Yeah, we'll, we'll pay some bills, and then we'll bring on Seymour Lachman. Oh, okay. So what you're saying. Come on in here, Lauren Gill. Lauren Gill! One of the great reporters of New York, and the clearly a great reporter. Just back from just back from Australia, a little vacation in Australia. But that's not what we're here to talk about, Lauren. No, no, it's not. Lauren, I didn't get where I am today by coddling the Donald Trump administration, and, and nor did Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. Attorney General Eric Schneiderman has been going around. We tried to get him on the show, by the way. I think we did. No, we wanted to call him a Trump buster because, as you know, he's been going around basically as a little unit in his office to kind of bust Trump stuff. Now, the one thing he's been talking about a lot. Busted. And he got busted on this, is saying that Donald Trump's proposed cuts, and we all know they're going to go through, cuts to the EPA, are going to slow down the Superfund cleanup of the Gowanus Canal. And Lauren Gill, a great reporter, found that that may not be true. Lauren, give us the the two-minute summary. Two-minute warning. Go. Okay. So Schneiderman held a press conference last week Uh, on the banks of the Gowanus, in which he basically said that the proposed budget cuts would slow down uh, the Gowanus cleanup. When he he had this this press conference, did he play that music, Eric, that I love so much? You know that music? Did he play it? If I was doing a press conference, this is what I start with. Ready? Go. No, Eric, go. (laughs) Jimmy! Did he play that music? I wasn't there, but I can only imagine. <laughs> it's, it's not reflected in your copy. But anyway, tell us the story. So we had a press conference saying that this, the cuts to EPA would slow down the canal cleanup. Is that true? Yeah, so then I spoke to an environmental lawyer. Um, so before this, people have been asking because when they heard of the budget cuts and the EPA cuts, everyone had been asking, what is this going to mean for the Gowanus? And uh, the EPA told locals that everything would be fine, it would still be on schedule, um, the administrative work required was already completed, mm. no one should worry about it. Okay. So then we thought it was interesting that Schneiderman was coming out and saying, it's actually going to be slowed down. Hmm. So I spoke to an environmental lawyer, and he said, basically, people really have nothing to worry about. Uh, and accused uh, Schneiderman of spreading fake news. Wow, you would call that fake ooze. Yes. Let's hear what I did there. I like how you did that. I like how you did that. See what I did there, Gil? Mm -hmm. So fake ooze. Well, but but here's the question. Why shouldn't I be concerned? In other words, Donald Trump, for whatever you think about him, again, I'm just a radio host, but forever, whatever you think of the idiot president, you have to wonder about his commitment to environmental issues. He's going to cut the EPA by a dramatic amount. He's put in place a guy running the EPA who does not believe in the mission of the either the environment or the protection part of that agency's name why shouldn't i be why shouldn't i be concerned that they would slow down the cleanup so what was explained to me is that the money for the cleanup is in a completely separate fund that won't be touched but why but that's the, why wouldn't they touch it they could they could gut that fund 
they could. That would be the worst case scenario. Um, but the attorney, Larry Schnapp, said it would be very unlikely. Um, and in that case, the cleanup would actually be handed over to the state. Now, who is Larry Schnapps and what is his agenda? Okay, so he is an environmental lawyer um, and he represents a, um, a developer building on a brownfield site along the canal. So he represents a developer. Mm-hmm. So he's I know an environmental we're not supposed to. No, 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 no. I'm not, not casting aspersions. To, to characterize the not for profit. I know that's against no, our no, style but he, rules. No, no, but he works but for a developer. I don't know what you're talking about. He works for a developer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he obviously has a specific perspective on the cleanup. But well, I, my question is why should I believe him? That's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, he's uh, well-respected. He's like the bar, the New York State bar's uh, go-to environmental attorney. So he would be a guy you'd call up about any environmental issue? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's fair enough. i got to say, I- I'm okay with it, but there's no reason to think they won't gut the fund, the super fund, if you will. So the Superfund has collected a bunch of money from places like uh, National Grid that would that were responsible for actually paying for this? Well, National Grid... Uh, they have not yet put all their money in the fund, but they're raising it, their bills. It has not. It has it not. It has not. I'm sorry. Uh, they're raising their bills to pay it for is, it. It, it is, is, pay, it is raising, raising the bills to pay for the cleanup. Um, but the smaller well, parties, well, wait, wait a minute. You just glossed over that. National yeah. Grid raised the bills. So so I'm paying for the cleanup you of the water. Yeah, we're all paying for no, it. No, no, no. Wait a minute. Let's backtrack for a second. You didn't hear this? No. Originally, you work for the Daily News. <laughs> no, no, there's a rule, Lauren, and tell me if I'm wrong. Polluter pays. Polluter pays. Right? right. Isn't that yeah. the rule? So National Grid has to pay. I'm going to answer this because I know all about it. But the New York State uh, Assembly and the State Senate allowed National Grid to raise rates specifically to pay for these wow. cleanups. So it's good It's good we got Seymour Lackman coming on in about 10 minutes. Yeah, maybe he can tell us about that. All right, so let's go back to that. I, I'm sorry I cut you off, but I was so shocked, shocked that the city of Albany and its legislatures, tours, tours, would do that. So let me get back to this. So they have that money in a lockbox, yes or no? No. No, so it is going to get raided by the Trump administration. He's, uh, what it was explained to me is that Congress doesn't really, it's not really tapped into the fact that it could potentially get this money. They're not tapped in. They could smell money. They're like a bunch of bloodhounds. Yeah. <laughs> You're telling me, 535 guys and women in Congress, they don't they don't know where that money is. Yeah, yeah, they do. It's called the Superfund, and it's there. It's sitting right there. Well, this right is there. the Gowanus Superfund. Oh, so they just They're can't remember the Superfund. Yeah, accounts. and you've got a guy who's running the EPA who's going to say, "Hey, Johnny, can you get me that list of Superfund sites?" And he's literally going to say, "How much?" He's going to look at it. How much money is in each lockbox? And the ones that are big, like ours, he's going to say, all right, we don't need to clean that up. People, they're building luxury housing on the banks of the Gowanus right now. Am I correct, Lauren Gill? Yes. So Scott Pruitt's going to say, well, mission accomplished. Let me have that money. But, you know, would Jared Kushner's property be as valuable if people had to live along a polluted waterway? Nice. So Kushner could then go to, Kushner's going to go to Pruitt and say, hey, this one I need. It's possible. I thought he separated himself from all that. Well. Jared Kushner? <laughs> That's what I heard. He's literally sitting in the Oval Office right now saying, hey, Dad, can you help me on the Gowanus? Literally. I mean, that. I think that conversation is happening right now. As we speak. Can we, J- Johnny, can we tap into that conversation? Because they got the Russians, so maybe we can tap in. You got that, Johnny? That'd be awesome. Do your Trump impersonation. We'll, we'll recreate it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that, that conversation could be happening. I don't know how Kushner sounds at all. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard him talk. I've never heard him talk. I just see, I, I, I know what I think he sounds like. He's very thin. 
Yeah. All right. So we got to get out. Lauren, best of your knowledge, because you're the expert on this, or at least have spoken to the experts on this. A.G. Schneiderman lied. He lied. I think it was just uh, it was an opportunity to take advantage and come down tough. You know, people are really supportive of the Gowanus cleanup. This is something that everyone's been working on for a while. It doesn't mean that other Superfund sites aren't going to be affected. Mm. It was just a poor example of one that could be. So you think they might raid the lockbox of other Superfund well, sites? Well, no, other Superfund sites that don't have a lockbox already are in jeopardy. How big is this lockbox? There's a lot of money in there. I mean, is it like physical lockbox? There's different ones for each site. So like a small Superfund. So lockbox. a small Superfund site is like a, it's like someone's wallet. And like this is like Fort Knox with like money and gold in it. I'm exaggerating, of course, but the super fun cleanup of the Gowanus is a, what is it, a twenty billion dollar? How much? How much is that going to cost? You're, you don't know. You literally don't. You probably typed it like six hours ago. <laughs> you literally don't know. It's like a five billion dollar. Johnny, just cl- look it up. We'll, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'm going to say the, the amount. I'm going to say the amount, and I'll leave out the dollar figure, and you guys will dub it in later. So I mean, that's okay. like a million dollar, billion dollar account, right? Yes. I hope somebody dubbed in that number. I really do, because I'm going to be feel embarrassed if they don't. All right, anyway, the point is we've got to get out. Lauren Gill. No, she's done a great job under very difficult circumstances coming into this room, especially, first of all, the room is a lot smaller with Gersh's facial problem. Yeah, please. What do you think of this zit? You can be honest. You can be totally honest. How bad it's is fine. that zit? It's fine? First of all, a zit is never fine. How big is it? Just it's a, it, you, You've covered the Gowanus. You know the size of the lockbox. How big is that zit? Wallet-sized? Wallet size. <laughs> it's bigger than a bread box. See, when I was a kid, we had bread boxes. I remember those. All right, Lauren, before I let you go, you did do another story that I, I have to bring up. I have to. They're going to put a dog run in Prospect Park. Yeah. And I don't even own a dog. Or the kids own a dog. And as you know, I'm divorced. Thanks, Vince. Thanks for bringing that up again. Mm-hmm. The point is the kids have a dog and they're going to be very excited. Where is it going to be and tell me when it's going to open and how much is it? So it's on the parade grounds. Oh, so that's Coney not in Prospect Island. Park. Not, really not in Prospect, Prospect Park. Park. So your headline is yeah. a lie. Your headline's a lie. New Prospect Park dog run plans revealed. Yeah. Who I, headlined I would that say, story? I would, I would call that a new, uh, a new parade grounds dog run. That's what I would say, personally. But nonetheless, tell us a little it's bit about it. It's designed by the Prospect Park Alliance. No, the Prospect Park Alliance runs the parade grounds, but for years and years and years, the parade grounds has been considered a separate park. Um, okay. in, in Lauren's article, in her defense, it's called the Prospect Park Parade Grounds. I'd also like to say that This is what happens Prospect when you have an Australian Park editing your paper, Gersh. Isn't necessarily my beat. I'm filling in for Colin Mixon. Ah, oh, Mixon. So, so uh, how do you think you were edited on that story? What? How, H- how, do, you, how do you feel? How was the editing job on that? Yeah, part? I thought it was good. Okay. Well, nonetheless, so the money's coming from Councilman Matthew Eugene and Councilman Brad Lander, who yeah. do cover that area. But... My problem with this, in case you can't hear the sound of my voice, it's too far away from my apartment. Hmm. Where's it going to be exactly on the parade grounds? Kermit and Coney Island Avenue. Oh, yeah, there is a tiny oh, yeah. area. Anybody who plays Asa with his or her kid knows that tiny area. It's on, I would say, tell me, stop me if I'm wrong, but it's on the southwest corner of that parade ground. You didn't stop me, so I must be right. Yes. There you go. Fantastic. I well, so. what was there a controversy here? Because everyone loves dogs. No, no controversy. Oh. There's going to be uh, separate areas for large and small dogs. Very exciting. There's whoa, gonna whoa, be whoa, whoa, whoa! Separate but equal? <laughs> no, it actually looks like 
one of the areas is much bigger. Now, do the big dogs get the big area and the small dogs Wait, get the small area? Johnny, maybe John, they switch or vice off. versa. I don't know if they've worked that out yet. Johnny, if you could put that picture up, it'd be very illustrative because we have separate but unequal facilities. Oh, and man. I'm not a Canaanist like you obviously are. Uh, uh, I forgot your name already. I'm not a Canaanist. I believe that all dogs are created equal. I believe that all dogs go to heaven. And I believe every dog has his day or her day. Hmm. And I believe that the bitch is back. But let me tell you something, Lauren Gill. I remember your name. Okay. You cannot tell me big dogs need a bigger run. Do- little dogs got to run too. I think little dogs have to run more than big dogs, this frankly. This is what people asked for. So you said there was no controversy. We found the controversy in a minute because you're a Canaanist. You didn't have the guts to say all dogs are created equal. Mm. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm just a little surprised. I have two rescue at, dogs. It, it, so I'm looking at the... That they all are. Wait, what size are your dogs? Um, medium. Medium sized. Yeah. Now, what, and they're different breeds. Yeah. What does that even mean, breeds? I mean, they're you a wouldn't say breed. mixed breed. But would you? No, mutts around th- here. Stop me if I'm wrong, Lauren. It's and I don't want to put you on the spot. Term. I think oh, it's a derogatory. I think it's a derogatory term because I my, Wait, my mixed kid, breed or mutt. Both. And here's what I'm getting at: human beings are Homo sapiens. Black people, Asian people, American white people like me, hipsters. The Irish. The Irish. Russians, even, are all homo sapiens. Is that the same as saying dog? In other words, a golden retriever, is that like saying a Russian? Uh, 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 I'm getting into tough territory here. A cocker spaniel, is that like saying a Brooklynite? Like, what, what, I guess I'm saying, what's the class? What's the order? Or is golden retriever like saying human? You you're talking about, what you're talking about is the types of humans. You're talking no, about no, there aren't. No, there aren't. There are, what he's saying is there's only Homo sapiens. Homo right? sapiens, okay. and all dogs are canines. So you don't think there should be? But breeds. technically, Gersh, technically, dogs are descendant of wolves of the gray wolf. So technically, all dogs are basically just gray wolves that are nice. I guess what I'm asking is, what are breeds? In other words, are breeds like saying, oh, well, he's got, he's Russian. Or he's American, or he's Polynesian. I don't know if it's where they come from so much as how they were bred, which was basically man playing God with the dogs. But man has played God with man on many occasions in our planet's sordid history. No, I don't. I don't think we've actually played God with man. We just grew up in different places. No, no, no. I'm talking Whereas about. Whereas pe- dogs were specifically bred for certain traits. So the, if they wanted to breed a a, uh, a basset hound, for instance, they would take a dog that was just fat, and they would find another fat dog, and they'd put them together and make them fat together and then they breed out long legs they'd only have short legs but you're saying there's there's large snouts are you saying there's never been a eugenics experiment for humans by humans i can't say that uh definitively but uh, i believe that nazi germany was working on that i believe they were trying to breed out certain characters to make human breeds like golden retrievers and cocker spaniels interesting Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm getting so excited about yeah, this. We started with a dog run. It's going to be great. We got to let Lauren go. We got to get out. Lauren, you are a Canaanist. You're a Canaanist, but it's okay because all humans are biased okay. against canines. I think we got to look into this. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, you know what to do, uh, Johnny. Let's pay some bills. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Lauren. Vinny, let's pay some bills. Yeah, let's do that. Vinny, are you looking for a dentist who provides quality care at an affordable price? Who isn't? Well, everybody is, and that's why everybody should be going to Dr. Joseph Lichter. Look, Lichter's got an office in Midwood with a state-of-the-art technology, the best staff, 
Beautiful surroundings, but the most important thing, obviously, are the prices. Zoom whitening, $3.95. Dental implants, $12.50. The Invisalign braces that go behind your teeth, $39.95. It's no surprise that the New York Riveters, the WNHL team, uses Dr. Joseph Lichter to keep their teeth looking bright and shiny and straight. So call Lichter, 718-339-7878. Go to his office in Midwood, 1420 Avenue P, or online, josephlichterdds.com. Wow. Now, you have to get your teeth all nice and ready for dinner, you're going to head over to Atlas Steakhouse. Because Atlas Steakhouse offers you a unique dining experience. First, you choose your steak, and every cut is aged to tender perfection on site. Then, you pair it with a vintage from their extensive wine selection, or with an Atlas Steakhouse signature cocktail. Enjoy a succulent appetizer as their master chef crafts your choice cut as you desire. And when your main course arrives, you will understand why at Atlas Steakhouse, they always offer you a cut above the rest. Atlas Steakhouse is at 943 Coney Island Avenue. Visit them on the web at atlassteak.com. Look, let me ask you a better question. What good is having those teeth all shiny and what good is being able to eat that steak if you can't do it in the community? And that's what's great about healthcare when it gets personal. Village Care Max, a Medicaid-managed long-term plan, helps you stay at home and in your community for as long as possible. And it's Medicaid-sponsored, so you don't even pay for it. They work with your doctor, they work with your family to get the best options for you. Don't believe me? Go to the website, villagecaremax.org, or call them at 800-469. 6292 Village Care Max. Live the life, eat the steak you want to live and eat. Atlas Meat Market is your number one neighborhood butcher shop. Listen, you can't make it out to Atlas Steakhouse one night? Come on over to Atlas Meat Market. They have the same prime cuts that you get at the steakhouse. They're located at 387 Avenue X. And the great thing about Atlas Meat Market is you can call them at any time, order the food, they'll bring it right to your door. They've got steak. They've got chops. They've got chicken. They do not have pork. It is halal. But it's Atlas Meat Market, your number one neighborhood butcher shop at 387 Avenue X. You can give them a call right now at 347-915-2000. Operators are standing by. Well, I got to tell you something, Vince. It's good we paid some bills because we have a review. Not a review. We have an interview right now with a guy named Seymour Lackman. And before we reach out to him, I want to tell you a little bit about Seymour Lackman. Let me hear. A lot of you kids don't know. Lackman is the author of a bunch of books. And you're going to say, why is he the author of a bunch of books? Let me tell you what they are. Three Men in a Room, The Inside Story of Power and Betrayal in an American State House. That was about Albany's bizarre process by which they basically, the governor, the head of the Senate, and the head of the Speaker of the House, Speaker of whatever, the Assembly Speaker, go into a room. Okay, that was one book. The Man Who Saved New York, U.L. Carey, and the Fiscal Crisis of 1975. That's just straight-up history. Right there. Mr. New York, Lou Rudin and his love for the city. Again, straight-up history. And his new book, which builds on the three men in a room thing, Failed State, Dysfunction and Corruption in an American State House. We're talking about Seymour Lackman. This guy got into politics back in the late 60s. He was a member of the Board of Education. Do you remember the Board of Education? I do remember the Board of Education. He used to vote for the Board of Education. He was president of the board in the early 70s. Yep. And then he went on to work at City University. But... The best part was when he got elected to fill a vacancy in the state Senate. And he was there for uh, like about 10 years. We'll talk to him a little about that. But he was one of those guys who was not corruptible. And that's why failed state, which has a subtext about urging New Yorkers to to vote for a new constitutional convention, Mm -hmm. which is what we're going to talk about, 
because we're talking about the broken constitution now. I don't know much about the New York state constitution. I know about the federal constitution, which I have tattooed on my back. Yeah, the preamble's there. No, not the preamble. What? The whole damn thing, all the way to the 25th Amendment. I never get past the preamble. 25th Amendment. Anyway, we're going to reach out to Seymour Lackman right now. Uh, Johnny, just play a little dialing music so nobody gets dialing music, yeah. This is a very important uh, number. Because i got to get this guy on the phone. we got to get him. He's waiting for the call. Don't take this number. No, do not listen to that number. It's a little risky when we do that. It's all you never know what's going to happen. He's probably just sitting by the phone. He's waiting. And he's probably going to answer in a second. No, he shouldn't. He's waiting for it. Still nervous though. Always a little nerve-wracking. I am nervous. Hello, this is PS200. Please leave wow. your name. Wow, I dialed the wrong number. <laughs> Let's leave a message though. Don't cut me off. I'm going to just do this. Begin speaking after the tone, then hang up when you are finished, or press any key for further options. Hey, PS200, it's Gersh Kunstman of Brooklyn Paper Radio. I really appreciate you taking the call. I dialed incorrectly, and now we'll hang up. What happened there? Anyway, let's try that again. I think I dialed the wrong number. Yeah, because Vinny put the wrong number on the list. Can we do it again? <laughs> Thanks, Vinny. That's what they call a blame transfer. No, it's actually wrong on the list. So that was not a blame transfer. That sounds like a blame transfer no, to me. that was a lame transfer is what that was. <laughs> look, look at it. I bet he's, bet he's waiting. I'm always nervous. It's nice that we got PS200, though. <laughs> That's interesting. They're going to love the show. I wonder which neighborhood that is. Hello. Hi, is that Seymour Lackman? It is. Senator Lackman, this is Gersh Kunstman from Brooklyn Paper Radio, and you're on the air live on tape with Vince DiMaselli, the editor of the Brooklyn Paper. How are you, sir? Okay, thank you. And how are you? We're doing great. Obviously, Senator Lackman, we have already told our listeners who you are. The author of Three Men in the Room, the author of The Man Who Saved New York, the author of Mr. New York, and now the new one, Failed State, Dysfunction and Corruption in an American State House. I would be remiss if I didn't start off with the tough question, sir. That American State House you're talking about is up the river from New York City, am I right? Yes. Albany, New York, a den of corruption. What's the book about? Give us the give us the thumbnail. Uh, the book is that the uh, state legislature in New York is one of the worst, if not the worst, in the nation. Not the executive branch of government that is held by Illinois, which has three former has had three former governors in jail. Mm. We have never reached that, fortunately. Not yet, anyway. Not, not yet. Well, <laughs> we haven't as yet. Anyway, uh, whereas. In New York State, we are the worst legislature in the country in terms of the number of senators and assembly people in our bicameral legislature who have gone uh, to jail. Uh, and there are, in terms of numbers and percentages, it's unbelievable between different decades. If you take the decade between 1980 and 1995, four legislators were convicted of felonies or misdemeanors. Uh, between 1995 and 2006, you had two legislators, uh, two legislators who faced conviction and were convicted of felony and misdemeanors. Guess how many have been found guilty, and the vast majority have gone to jail between 
2006 and 2016. I like this. You said guess. So we got Vince and Gersh here. I'm going to guess 35. Vince, what do you think? I'm going to guess 12. No, you should have said Price is Right rules. You should have said one. Actually, it's 16 plus two more who have been indicted. Oh, so if you're indicted, Uh, you're invited. George and and, uh, his successor, uh, State Senator Ort from Niagara County. Wait a minute, two people so from the same district? from all over the state. Okay. I mean, but never before had we ever had, and I don't think any other state has had, the two leaders of the bicameral legislature, the Speaker of the Assembly and the Senate Majority Leader, both found guilty of felonies and both getting... Uh, sentenced to prison for a number of years and now under appeal. Uh, well, let me ask you a question. You while, give... they're under, while they're staying in their home, etc. All right, but you've given us a lot of numbers, and they're shockingly high numbers. And just for the record, you did not ever get indicted or sent to jail for your time. No, in for the, the record, yeah. I have never, ever gotten indicted so what, or so, been sent to jail. So what or is, even investigated. <laughs> or even investigated. So what? So you gave us the numbers. So I have helped some investigators in terms of finding out what's going on. Fair enough. Uh, that, so what is, what is ultimately what's wrong in Albany? In other words, is the numbers well, are higher. What's wrong in Albany is the democratic process no longer exists to the extent uh, of years ago. In fact, the democratic process is in danger of being eliminated. I mean, there is no other state where the two legislative leaders control basically everything. Well, but, but what For example, mean? what do I mean by that? Yeah. I, these people control uh, who is who becomes chairman of committee or chairwomen of committees that is one of the most important thing possible but they're all appointed by the two leaders i remember four or five years ago when nancy pelosi was the um, uh, speaker of the house uh, she wanted someone as her number three leader and he lost. So what happened? She took her marbles and she went away and uh, and she said, there'll be days when I will be free of this and uh, victorious. In Albany, that can never, ever occur. The legislators, the two major legislators, the majority leader in the Senate and the assembly speaker, control all that is important. What do I mean by that? Not only do they control committee chairs, they also appoint people to different committees. They appoint them. Not only that, but they control the entire budget crisis. I mean, the entire budget uh, development and the vote on the budget. And, you know, we don't, I remember in 2005 budget, uh, we received it a half hour before the vote, mm-hmm. and the chair of the uh, committee, who was a Republican at that time, said, okay, guys, here's the budget. You have a half hour to read it. 
and uh, vote on it. Well, but it was only two I pages, said, right? Hour, it's a telephone directory. It's over a thousand <laughs> words. Ah. He said, but you must vote on it. And if you don't vote on it, uh, you will not be supportive of the three people who have agreed. Governor George Pataki and uh, Speaker Sheldon Silver and Senate Senate Majority Leader uh, Joe Bruno. Um, I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, it's inane. He said the other members of the legislature have to vote for it because they know that these three men in a room have developed this budget even though no one else except the uh, they might have used the chair of the finance committee and the deputy majority leader who at that time was dean scalos who has been found guilty as you know and uh, Mm -hmm. and has been sentenced and is appealing Anyway, this is an undemocratic process. Okay, but hold on, hold on. It's it's not in the Constitution. In other words, that's just been worked out by those guys. Why do you want a new Constitution? I want a new Constitution because the only way we can achieve reform is through a new Constitution. The, uh, the majority of legislators, as things now stand, want to have their perks. They want to make forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars additional when they're appointed as the chair of, uh, for example, the finance committee. Uh, they want to pay. Uh, they want to play the game of uh, paying, getting paid for things if they do what the leadership wants them to do. They want the power, and you know, in the process of of uh, developing all kinds of bills never ever when i was in the state legislature did any bill go through the assembly or the senate without the approval of the majority leader and the speaker of uh the assembly now this is this is unbelievable we can't we don't we don't uh, uh, involve ourselves in the process. Uh, we want to involve ourselves, but it's the leadership, the three main leaders, and it's the Democratic leader in one house and a um, Republican leader in the other house, who are solely involved and their staffs do these things. So- now, in the state of New York, when we have redistricting every ten years. There's no independent redistricting. The, in, the redistricting takes place with the control always of the majority leader of the Senate and the Speaker of the Assembly. Get, get, let me give you another example of what I experienced. I received a call, uh, oh, about 12 years ago when I was still in the Senate, the uh, redistricting was taking place, and the Senate Majority Leader called me, Senator Bruno, and said he would like to see me. And uh, I couldn't understand why, because even the leader of our conference, whether it's uh, Senator David Patterson or other you know, people before and after him, many times don't get their calls returned and seldom, if ever, meet 
with uh, the leadership in the Senate uh, because they're the minority. And the minority in the Senate and the minority in the Assembly are treated like non-entities, like dirt. So I went to the meeting. I said, okay, I didn't know what was going on. And as soon as I came into the room, I realized something was happening. And what was happening was... Well, this sounds like a scene from Goodfellas. Offered me, offered me, if I voted for him, for majority leader, and voted in the Republican caucus, uh, something extra. He said, what do you have the number of items in your district? And I said, you know how much money goes to different organizations uh, from the Senate and the uh, Assembly leadership to each district. And uh, I said 139000 He said, how would you like to have over $2 million distributed uh, for your district, and all you have to do is conference with the Republican Party or just vote for me and for things that are important to us. And when I got up to leave, Governor Pataki called Bruno, and I went to the door because it wasn't appropriate to have a conversation. And Senator Bruno said, no, no, come back. This concerns you. And he handed me the phone from uh, Governor Pataki, and then I realized I'd been had. The governor said, you know, how are you? How's your wife? And I said, fine. And I asked him how he is, how's his wife? Fine. And he got to the core in two minutes. He said, I want you and the Senate majority leader wants you to conference with us or support uh, Bruno, the majority leader, and vote for things that we support on the floor. And I said, look, I don't know what party I'll belong to in a month or so or who I'll vote for. I'm a centrist Democrat, but what you're asking me to do violates my conscience. And I walked out the door, and there was a fellow Democrat standing outside the majority leader's office. And he said, what did you say? What did you say, yes or no? And I said, how does he know what's happening? and uh, what happened. And uh, I said, no, he ran into the office of the majority leader, and he set up an appointment to see him, and uh, he became the person that took the position and thereby getting more money for his district uh, that I refused to do. So basically... And, uh, you know, this person is now in jail. I can tell you <laughs> that. He became... Uh, the uh, head of the finance, uh, and he became the leader of the finance committee, a chair, which is very rare for someone in the opposition, and made, made an additional uh, $40,000, $60,000 in perks, and got the district that he wanted to get, because in the new district he was uncomfortable with the way uh, it was drawn up, and the different ethnic, racial, religious groups that were in that district. And I, who was also offered a perfect district, got a, uh, another district that included Brooklyn, which I represented, but the North Shore of Staten Island. I won overwhelmingly 
for that re-election in that seat. And I have to thank these people for putting me in the North Shore of Staten Island because I learned a great deal from about half the population of the North Shore, or a third of the population that came from Africa, whether it was Ghana or Liberia or Nigeria or Guinea or Senegal. But and I felt very comfortable. But let me continue. You know, I went back to Albany, and I said to Senator Bruno's deputy, now that I have two districts, I want to service both Staten Island and Brooklyn with two offices. And I was told this is illegal. It can't happen. It doesn't. No one else has this. So what did I do? I decided to take money out of my own pocket and open up a district in Staten Island and in Brooklyn and really be representative of the two boroughs and represent them. Okay. Do you know that uh, a Republican colleague and a Democratic colleague within a month said to me, do you know, Seymour, that uh, there are 12 uh, senators who have, are being paid for two offices because they represent two counties or more, uh -huh. as I did, and there's one who is being paid for three offices. So not only do they do things that are undemocratic, they lie. <laughs> well, everybody lies. That's that's one thing that we that we hold true here at the at the newspaper. At least that's what we we kind of always figure. But I gotta I gotta get back to this now. You you said that um, you were uh, you know you that you didn't play ball with these guys. And when you didn't play right. ball, did that, was that one of the things that, that got you out of the, did they, did they redistrict you out or did you yeah, leave voluntarily? They redistricted me out, but I won the new district by more than two thirds of the vote. So they tried to redistrict you out. And but, they couldn't do it. Okay. But then I began taking notes for the book. I said, <laughs> this cannot continue. Let me make it public. I have to. Now, nobody has done a better uh, job. My conscience says that no, I have. Nobody to. has done a better job than Seymour Lackman about exposing some of these things. But here's my problem, Senator. What you were talking about is ancient history. I want to talk about a constitutional convention. How does Good. it happen? I want to also. How do we get it on a ballot? How do we do it? Okay. It's not easy. The constitutional convention is a very important thing, but very difficult to achieve. Every 20 years, the New York State Constitution says that we can have a constitutional if the voters want it. And they have to vote in 2017, in November, for a constitutional convention or vote against it. But who's gonna? Who's actually gonna fight for that? What politicians out there? I would think there should be many councilmen in New York City that that are tired of how Albany treats the city that would actually push for something like that. But is anyone upstate, even even our uh, our our state senators and our assemblymen here in Brooklyn, are they gonna fight for something like that? Well, I know that there are upstaters who are fighting for it. Uh, there are New York City uh, people who are. Fighting for it. an example is Evan Bai, who is the uh, who was um, the chief counsel to Governor Mario Cuomo, another important person who has changed basically his position over the years 
because he realizes there's no other way for to reform. And that's Peter Goldbar, Governor Hugh Carey's budget director, who was my one of my mentors. You know what he said? And uh, Peter Goldmark became, after being state budget director in New York, the president of the Rockefeller Foundation and the editor-in-chief of the International New York Herald Tribune, which is now the International uh, Times. New York Times. Yeah. In the conversation I had with him, he said that Albany is today, or the legislature today, is an unholy confluence of leader tyranny, corrupt campaign financing, insidious gerrymandering, and no real oversight on integrity, due process, and transparency. Well, that's a perfect storm. <laughs> so there are people who are involved. And one of, the, one of the problems will be that some of the legislatures have an opportunity to double dip in terms of salaries, working uh, part-time for uh, the state legislature and uh, uh, as a member of the Constitutional Convention. So we have to set up delegates in each state Senate district, uh, which will have three delegates throughout the state uh, to combat that and make certain that we have a constitutional convention in New York State. And it's not going to be easy. We'll need people and staff, and we'll have to raise independent money, not necessarily from lobbyists uh, who give money to uh, each of the major parties and the minority parties. But it can be done, and it should be done. Now, as a professor and a dean at Wagner College, many of my colleagues, most of my colleagues, share my opinions. But it's very distressing when college students say, we agree with you, but it's like knocking our heads against the wall. How do we organize? How do we do it? But the, one of the recent Pew polls show that the over 90% of the residents of New York State know something is wrong with state government and has made New York, as my new book is entitled, Failed State, a failed state, dysfunction and corruption in New York State. And uh, they want to have change, but we have to organize and get together not only with the reform groups, but with all people, whether they belong to uh, labor unions or business groups or uh, whatever ethnic group they belong to mm -hmm. or whatever racial, religious group, everyone suffers. And many is taken away from the kitty that is supposed to go fairly and objectively to the state of New York and given only to certain things that has the approval of uh, the leadership in the Senate and Assembly. All right. Well, all this makes a lot of sense to me, and I think we all, we're all in agreement of the, the problems in Albany, and hopefully a, a constitutional convention could actually change that. I don't know how, but it, it could actually change it. But well, I got, you know how it could change it? We've had several constitutional conventions. Two of them were landmarks in American history. Do you know it wasn't until the 1880s that New York State allowed free public education through high school? And that came about 
through a constitutional convention. In the uh, during the Depression, during the 1930s, uh, Governor Alfred E. Smith and Governor Franklin Roosevelt and Governor Herbert Lehman were instrumental in establishing social welfare laws that were mandated because the Constitutional Convention said it should happen and it should be. And guess what? Franklin Delano Roosevelt then went to Washington, D.C. as the president, and this was the basis of his New Deal to fight the Depression. But I got to ask you this one question, though. When all this went down with you back with uh, Joe Bruno and those guys, they call you at the office. When you got out of that office, why didn't you get get back to your office and call me up and we would have put it on the front page of the Bay News? Why didn't you make that call? I didn't make that call because I knew it would not have the impact that a book and TV appearances and newspaper interviews throughout the state of New York. That hurts. <laughs> that hurts. That, that hurts, Seymour. <laughs> that hurts a little bit. Front page of the Bay News would have been yours, baby. <laughs> well, the Bay News would be a great thing for me because I live in Brooklyn and my constituents live in Brooklyn. But it wouldn't have any effect upon Cuyahoga County, Niagara County, Nassau County, Suffolk. And I decided the only way to do this is to publish books. And I have written four books that directly or indirectly deal with this, and I'm delighted that the Brooklyn Dailies are now part of the team that we need to get this done. All right. Well, listen, we got to let you go. I know we told you uh, we'd be out of here by 3.15. We're, we're hitting that time right now. So uh, we wanted to thank you for coming on. Uh, we want to wish you success with the, the books that, you, that you're working on, the books that you're working on in the future, the books that are out now. And I just want to say one thing. Seymour Lackman for president. I said it. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> Maybe get us out of here. Thank you very much, but I doubt if even the publication of books and even the Brooklyn Daily can achieve that. All right. Well, listen, it's great. And I'm not sure I would uh, be interested in that because uh, there are many other people who are more experienced than I am that should be president instead of the incumbent. Wow. <laughs> well All righty. All right, Vinny, we got to get out. All right, thank you, uh, Senator Lackman, for coming on. We really appreciate it. But we got to close the show now, so we'll, ta- we'll talk to you later. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Great man, that's Seymour Lackman. There i got to say, a great man. That's very good.